Thank you guys for leading us so well and for Stephen leading us today. Uh, good evening to you all. And we continue really uh, in some way where we finished off this morning. Um, we're going to be looking together at actually 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and 11. So turn there in your Bible as we do that. And as you turn, uh, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask for God's help as we again turn to his word this evening. Uh, as we expect, uh, as we open it, to be spoken to. So let's pray. Father, we've already been singing your praises this evening. And we've been thinking, even as we sing the words of the hymns of all that you have done for us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is our Redeemer. That those of us who sit here this evening, that know that for certain, that he has redeemed us and he is sanctifying us and one day he will glorify us and we will be with him for eternity. And so Lord, as we come again to look at the subject and the institution of communion, and Lord, we, this evening we, we want to see the reality of what takes place at the Lord's Supper. And Lord, we want this to penetrate our hearts and our minds and to again elevate our view of this, this incredibly important institution that your Son gave to us. So we need your help. So speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we looked at communion, the first part of it, and what it is biblically, what do we see in the Bible about what communion is and what does it tell us we should do and and the way we should conduct ourselves coming to the table. Um, I would encourage all the members who weren't here this morning to go and listen to that sermon on the podcast and this will help uh, solidify what we're looking at tonight as well. But we looked at uh, the description this morning and for those who weren't here, I'm just going to read it again. I read it numerous times uh, this morning but I think this is helpful. This is a summary. I'm not sure it's on the screen but I'm going to read it here anyway. I've got it on my, my iPad. So I'm going to read it for you and it says this. That screen's gone blank so I'm guessing, are you working on it here, Sharon? She's good. She's a good girl, isn't she? We'll wait for it. It'll be really helpful for you to see and read again. Here we are. Look at that. This is what it is. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the Lord in which gathered believers eat bread signifying Christ's body given for his people and drink the cup of the Lord signifying the new covenant in Christ's blood in remembrance of the Lord proclaiming his death until he comes. That was a summary we looked at this morning. And we broke it into five sections. Uh, It breaks simply into five sections. uh, And which, really, all those five come together to make up what the Lord's Supper is and and what it means for us. That's what we saw. We saw that it is an ordinance of the Lord. We looked at how it is for believers only. We eat and drink signifying Christ's broken body and blood shed on the cross. We, We do it always in remembrance of him. And therefore, we proclaim his death. Until he comes. That's the five. And I think 
having stepped away from this morning's sermon and evaluating communion in my own personal walk and what my overriding response should be as we approach such an institution of the Lord's Supper, sort of three things come to mind. Um, And these are just preliminary things as I begin the sermon. The first thing this morning that struck me is that we, we come with hearts full of thanksgiving. You know, for all that God has done in sending his only son to the cross to bear my sin, that in and through his death I may have life. Because of that, thanksgiving should overflow out of my heart to him. The second thing that struck me is that communion should be a time of praise and worship. You know, unending, continuous praise. And that should overflow into my personal life and into my corporate setting with my brothers and my sisters, always praising him who is so worthy of our praises. And then thirdly, the thing that struck me this morning, and I hope it did for you too, is that we should approach the table with great humility. With great humility. This is so important as we do that. Not just as we come to the table week by week, but as we live out Christ in our lives. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. Not a king that came for a golden crown, but one that was made with thorns. No throne, just a cross. And how we need to imitate Christ in his great humility and obedience in our lives. And look again at our own personal pride and put that to death daily. That was just three simple thoughts, having studied this and preached this morning. However, tonight I want to dig deeper. I want to go further with this. And I want to ask the question, what really takes place at the Lord's Supper? Maybe you've thought about this before. What really takes place at the Lord's Supper? Was everything we looked at this morning The entirety of what happens? This morning, I suppose, in some ways, it was what we do. And how do we do it? And how do we approach it personally as those who believe? We also saw this morning what it meant and what it shows to the unbelieving who are present. And how powerful that is. But tonight we ask, what really does take place at the Lord's Supper? And to answer this question, as I said just a few moments ago, we look at chapter 10 and chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. And I think Paul really is talking about uh, communion across these chapters. So we need to to look in our Bibles. And the first thing is this. It is a common partaking of Christ's presence. Look at 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians 10 and 16. It says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? 
You see the word participation. Maybe it's different in your translation. If you're using a different translation to the ESV, which is what I'm using and use week by week. If you see the word participation there, in this verse it can be translated back in the original to a sharing. A sharing. A sharing in the blood of Christ. A sharing in the body of Christ. And the word we there implies that this is something that we do together. We do it together. We looked this morning, didn't we? We gather together. But here again, it, is, it implies that and it means that. that. We together, as the body of believers in this church, we gather together and we commune together. We participate in communion. Those of us who have a saving faith. And therefore, communion is a time and a place where we celebrate our common union with Christ. That's a, a wonderful thing, if you think about that just for a moment. We celebrate at the table, as we take of it, those of us who believe, those of us in the body of Christ here in the church, we celebrate our common union in Christ. That shared union that we have in Christ as a body of believers. It's, it can become a very individualistic thing, can't it? For each of us, I think I'm guilty of this in the past. I approach the table in a very individualistic manner. But actually, it's bigger than that. It's a celebration of our union, our common union, the thing that we all, all of us who trust in him have in common. And that's just stunning. Now, this partaking or sharing, as I've already noted uh, here this evening, it is not that of the, Catholic, the Roman Catholic belief, which I talked about this morning. So those who weren't here, I'm going to touch on this again. In the Roman Catholic Church, they teach and they believe transubstantiation. And transubstantiation is that Roman Catholic teaching that they, they believe that the bread literally becomes the body of Christ and the, and the wine literally becomes the blood of Christ. Uh, and they partake of Christ's literal body. That's their belief. The emblems basically turning into such when the priest says the words of the institution of the Eucharist. But let me go one step further. Those of you who are theologians or into uh, Reformation days, which you, you should be as well. That's, that's an important part of our history. Neither we, do we hold the view of consubstantiation. What does that mean? What is consubstantiation? Well, it's a Lutheran doctrine that holds to the belief that the bread and the wine somehow become the spiritual body and blood of Christ. Whatever that means. We do not hold to those two beliefs. However, in the sharing of the body of Christ and the sharing of the blood of Christ, there is a real communing with Christ. How do we explain this better? How do we get our heads around this sharing in his body and his blood? If it's not literal or spiritual in, in the sense of consubstantiation, how do, we, how do we draw some parallels? Well, here's some 
some simple ones that will hopefully help, like it helped me this week. Think of it like prayer. Think of it like worship. Think of it like uh, praise to Christ and how he embodies the praises of his people. See, prayers and praise are two incredible ways of expression. They are tangible, they are visible, they are audible ways to commune with Christ. And through these, he also communes with us. And when you grasp that, and you put communion in that same bracket, in that same place, in that same uh, spectrum as praise and as prayer, communion becomes a whole different thing. Because it is where he also meets us, just as we pray to him and we come to the throne of grace and as we sing praises to him. He also embodies the praises of his people. He is, he is with us in those moments and we are with him and in some amazing way, Christ meets with us in those moments. Just when we pray independently away from church in our prayer times. As he speaks, as we talk about how he speaks to us through his word and through uh, our communing with him on an individual level. So it is as we come corporately to communion. He, in a miraculous way, communes with us and we commune with him. Secondly, coming to the table is an opportunity to commune with one another. So we look at that. we've looked at what it means to commune with Christ as we do that. But now we see in 1 Corinthians 10 and 17, just the next verse, we see there is a communing with one another. And this really touches on the, the thing I talked about, about individualistic approach to communion. It sort of it disregards that completely. Let's read verse 17 of chapter 10. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Now, you know, when I read that, you need to sort of read it again and, and again and again because you need to make sense of what it's saying. Because there is one bread, we who are many are, many are one body, the church. For we then partake. Of the one bread. So communion is an expression of our oneness in Christ. That is what it is. It's an expression of our oneness in Christ. In these moments we are reminded that no one of us is greater than the other. You see communion. Actually maybe we go further than that. The cross. Is what has leveled the playing field. We are all in the same state as we are desperate for his grace and his forgiveness. No one greater than the other. No one deserved the salvation we now possess. And this 
encourages our unity as the body of believers in this church. When we see one another equally, we, the, we desire fellowship and communion with each other because, because it is a place of encouragement as we walk this life of faith together, serving each other and our precious Savior. It's a place where we commune with one another. So as, as much as we come to the table to give thanks and, and praise the one who died for us, who also, uh, we also come knowing that in the body of Christ is where God, the Holy Spirit, dwells. Do you remember last week, uh, last Sunday evening, uh, I talked to you about the metaphor of the temple, that we are built in such a way that we, as one body, with many functions, are built into that metaphor of a temple. And in that temple dwells the Spirit. The Spirit is present with the body of Christ and indwells us and binds us together as we all share in that one Spirit. You see, there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism. We are one body. We are one bread. We are one Spirit. And we share so much in common. Namely, Salvation and shared eternal life. That's what we share. That is why we gather as a body of Christ, because we can celebrate that which we have in common. Not the individualistic thing, not approaching it as just me. Although we have in these moments time to confess our own personal sin before God. That is present and that is happening as we talked about this morning. At the same time, we are also together. We are not sitting as a body of believers all independent in that moment. But we are sitting with one another, communing with God and communing with one another. And the table then is a wonderful expression of what we share together as a church. Thirdly, as we keep moving forward this evening, we see that the the table, as we come to the Lord's Supper, it is a coming together to worship. I touched on this right back at the beginning when I did my reflection on this morning and, and this time I've had in the study to look at this. And in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20 to 22, we see this. So let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20 through 22. It says this. No, I imply that what... Pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Well, let me give some context here because... That's not all that clear. Okay. Firstly, Corinth. Well, Corinth was full of pagan worship. It was full of pagan worship. False idols, many festivals and experiences that were focused on the worship of these false gods. That's what Paul is ministering into. That is what he's speaking to in these moments. 
And as we know, the worship of false gods is the worship of demons. That's what the Bible says. And that's what we're talking about here when we read the word demons in these verses. But what Paul is saying to the church here is, you cannot come to the Lord's table having been at these worship experiences. Or if you're going to leave this celebration and go back to those pagan feasts, that's just not going to happen. And so the lesson that Paul was trying to state was this. Our worship is singular. It's singular. You have come away from that worship. You have come apart. You have, been de- you have detached yourself from that. You have to kill that life. And those desires, if you are to come to this table in a worthy manner. You cannot be at this table and pretend and then go off and be part of that pagan worship. That false worship of a false God. You cannot be those who come with anything less than singular worship. What he is saying is this in one line. There is no room at the table for those with mixed loyalties. That's what he's saying. That's pretty serious stuff. Even for us. Particularly for us 2,000 years later. Look at the repercussions if we do do that. Verse 22. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You put yourself up against a mighty God. You call on yourself the chastisement of God. And this leads well on to my final point tonight. That the Lord's Supper is a coming to a place of purification. 1 Corinthians 11. We read them this morning. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 27 to 29. Let's read these words together and then we'll look at this. And this is a building block on what we've just seen. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The table is a wonderful opportunity for self-examination as we looked at this morning. However, if we approach the Lord's Supper in a superficial, trivial, haphazard unconscious way without an honest evaluation of our own spiritual condition an evaluation that drives us to confession and repentance and a desire for purification in our own lives you will and I will eat and drink judgment on ourselves 
You will provoke the Lord. You will call down on yourself the chastening of the hand of God. These are not words people want to hear. You don't want to hear these things. You want to hear that God is a God of love and there is no way that he would do such a thing. My sin has been paid by Christ on the cross and now I enjoy freedom. Yes, we do. All of those things are so true. But your theology is not complete. We serve a just God who cannot look upon sin. And guess what? We still sin. And we can receive this chastisement of God. Like a a father chastising his son. Because he loves them so much. You see there's a reason we do this every first day of the week. This morning we looked at why we do that. But we do it on the first day of the week. Because there's an opportunity for us to recommit ourselves to Christ. Doesn't mean we say that prayer or whatever it may have been, that moment you got saved, that moment where you were redeemed, as we would say. It doesn't mean we're doing that, but it means that we are coming away from a busy week. And we are committing ourselves again. I remember Edwin Newitt, the principal of the college, when we were talking about communion. He looked at it, at it as... A point where we can almost reset. Now that has some dangers in the sense that we could we could take that and and run with that in the sense that I can sin all I like from Monday morning to Saturday night, and I just reset on Sunday. No, 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 that's not true. That is not what Scripture is saying. But it is a special time set aside. Around the Lord's table for us to once again remember all that he has done. Give thanks for that. Commit our sin. And commit ourselves to him. An opportunity for us to give our spiritual life a thorough examination. So that we do not and will not eat or drink judgment on ourselves. Look at what happened to those who came to the table in an unworthy manner. Verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill. And some have died. This verse cannot be any clearer. The chastening hand of God can make you weak and ill. And even take your life. But look at verse 31. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Verse 32. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. His chastisement is for our benefit. That's what those words are saying. For our good and for his glory. 
Again, the imagery of a loving father disciplining his children for good and taking their life away so that they may dwell with him rather than enter into condemnation. That is what it's saying. It is better for us that he would even take our life, that we would not lead a life that leads us to condemnation or to be stuck in the world. That he would take us to be with him. And although in our minds that is very hard to comprehend. That someone would be taken. For their good and for his glory. So the table is a place of personal purification. And in turn the purification of the whole body of the church. Every member, every function renewed, purified again and ready to return to its work. Isn't it wonderful when we think of it that way? This is the purpose. This is what is happening when we come to the table. What is the purpose of the table? What really takes place in those moments? Well, a partaking of the presence of Christ as he embodies our worship and praise, a communing with one another as we express our unity in Christ, a coming together to worship that singular worship with no distractions from the outside, and fourthly, a time of purification, a conscious evaluation of our spiritual state, which leads to confession and repentance, leading to the avoidance of the judgment of God on our life. So may these, these four and others, all that we looked at this morning, and, and what we've looked at this, this evening in, in, in our brief time together, may these be ever present in our mind as we come to the table week by week. For Christ's sake. Amen. Let's sing together then as we close.